Father in heaven, as we as we continue our praise and our worship to you, Father, and that's our whole meaning for being here together today, is your body assembling together to give you praise and glory and honor. And Father, we we sing and we pray and we we fellowship and we open up your holy and divine word and we try to see what you want us to know. And so, Father, today what we are preparing to study and to learn, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be among us and that it will fill us and that we will be able to understand these words of life, this manna from heaven that like you gave out into the desert those 40 years as they wandered there, you supplied them with that daily manna. Jesus said that I, though, am the bread of life that have come down from heaven unto you. And this word is our daily bread, Father, our, our manna from heaven. So may we feast upon it today. May it nourish and strengthen us for our trek through this world. And Father, in all that we do, all that we say, may it be to your glory and to your honor. And we thank you so much for your son and our savior, Jesus. And it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Oh, I better even get my glasses on or we'll never get nowhere. But anyway, it's a new year and I, I, I just thought we would try to start following Jesus. And um, um, Lamentations, chapter 3, 22 and 23 says this. You know, every day, following him every day, by his mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not, yea, they are new every morning. Every morning, those mercies, those compassions are new to us as we begin our day. So that's the direction that I want to flow into this week. And I want to follow Christ and see what he wants his disciples to do and what he tells them. And what it is is come follow me. Uh, what, I want to know what that is like. You know, whenever, um, whenever I listen to it, that was Jesus' mantra. Whenever we open up the New Testament to the book of Matthew, and if you want to go there, that's where we're going to be this morning for most of the time. Matthew chapter uh, 4 and 5 is where we're going to start out. But whenever we open up the book of Matthew and it gives the genealogy of the Lord, and then it tells how that uh, he was uh, baptized by his cousin John in the River Jordan, and whenever... Whenever Jesus arose from those waters and it says that the heavens opened up to him and that the voice of the father came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then it says that the Holy Spirit descended and alighted upon him like a dove would. And then it says as you turn the page from chapter 4 to chapter 5, or chapter 3 to chapter 4 immediately is the temptation of the Lord Jesus. It, it says he was put up in the wilderness by the Spirit and he was tempted those 40 days and those 40 nights by, by Satan. And when it was done and the angels uh, attended to him, you know, you know what that was? It's the same thing that happens in our life, folks. And I, and I try to, to warn of this. I can remember whenever, I'm going to pick, pick on you for a minute, Miss B. I can remember whenever you was baptized. And what did I tell you? 
said the victory was today, but get ready for for the the trials that come after that, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. The thing is, with every yeah, but with every, but when there's a victory, when when you have a spiritual victory, expect the devil to try to knock you off that horse, okay? And he's going to try. So immediately after that, Jesus went into you know what that baptism represented. It fulfilled all righteousness for him. It pleased the Father. It was the Father's will for that to be done. But it was also Jesus' submission to the plan and the will of the Father. That's when the ministry began. And it was like, okay, now's the time. Are you, are you with me? And he said, yes. And I will fulfill all righteousness. And from that point on, he was consecrated to do the will of the Father. And everything that happened after that, you remember in prayer before the garden, even going to the cross, he had committed to that already, all the way to the end. And so when he got there, he said, man, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But if not, Father, not my will, but thine be done. So I see in that the submission unto the Father, unto his will. And the Father says, I am pleased. And immediately then there's that battle that takes place, that spiritual battle. He went into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan 40 days and 40 nights. And he made it through with the same things you and I have. The Holy Spirit that had came to him then and the word of God that he fought back. Every, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that's what we have too. And then Jesus began his ministry there after that. The beginning of it. And you know what the first words of his ministry was? If you look on chapter 4. I think it's around verse 17. It says repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there was the first words was. Change your direction. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So come follow me. And the first thing it says after he said that. It says the next thing he did was he went. And he found uh, Simon Peter. And his brother Andrew and they were casting nets out into the sea. And he looked over at him and he said, come. What? That's right. Come. Follow me. That was his call. So the first words that he said to an actual person that we have recorded is come and follow me. And it says he went just a little short distance from there and he found John and James it says James the son of Zebedee and John his brother sitting in the boat and they were mending their nets with their father and he also told them to follow him and they they left their nets and they followed Jesus that's that whole thing of repent for the kingdom of heaven's hand what did it mean to them okay I dropped what I was doing and I followed Jesus that's what it means it means to change your mind is what that word repent means it means to change your mind and now think upon Christ and follow him. That's, that's what it, the whole thing means. So now we see that that was the mantra of Jesus. Just come, follow me, and see what this is like. And so he went through all Galilee then teaching. And it says that, that he was teaching 
They brought to him all of those who were sick and those who were afflicted and those who were demon-possessed. And there was just all kinds of things going on. And as he healed them and as he did his ministry, you know what he must have told them? Come, follow me. Because what does it say there at the end of the chapter? In verse 23, it says, And great multitudes followed him. They were following him. Everything that he did was for one purpose, so that we would follow him. And so then, this doesn't change. They are still following him. That last verse, there's not a chapter break, really. It's a continuation into chapter 5, is because it says, when he see the multitudes were following him, he went up on the mountain, and he found him a place to sit where he could get comfortable to teach. And it says that he opened his mouth. He called the disciples, and he called the people who were following him together. And he called them unto him, and it says that he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying. So the first thing it does is, if I want to follow Jesus, I want to know that he wants us together together. He wants us to sit there at his feet, and he wants us to listen. He, he wants us to, to know the truth about different things. And he says, um, he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, and I'm trying to find my place. But anyway, he taught them, saying that uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Because that's the first thing he wanted us to know. As he got his first group together, after he had said, come follow me, and everyone was following him, the first thing he did when he sat down there and he got comfortable and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that really mean? What does that mean? beatitude that blessing how am i blessed how am i happy by being poor in spirit that sounds kind of oxymoronic that's a big word for me miss lisa oxymoronic it, it sounds like opposites like why would being poor in spirit be something that was a blessing and so that's what i want to take you on a journey today is to figure out what, just what does that mean? Why would that make me feel blessed? And why would that make me feel a little bit happy? And so, it's very important for us because it leads to some truths that will help us be confident and courageous but also comfortable in our walk with the Lord. I want to introduce you to a man who was Saul of Tarsus. You remember him? It was before he became the Apostle Paul. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. And he really thought that he was doing things the right and the proper way. And he didn't start out poor in spirit. And that's why I wanted to talk about him. Because he was the exact opposite of what being poor in spirit is when he was Saul of Tarsus. He was, he was a very proud man because he thought, I am righteous. Look at all the things I am and all of the things that I do. In his letter to the Philippians, in the chapter uh, 3, he, he said this is how good he used to think that he was. In verse 4, he starts talking there and he says, oh, you know, at first he said, uh, I don't have confidence in the flesh now. I am confident in the spirit because I am in Christ. But he said, I used to be 
of the circumcision. I used to think how important and special I was for who I was. He said, you want to know my credentials? Well, I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I, you think, well, what is that? What is all that? How can you be so proud of that? Well, Benjamin was the tribe that the first king came out of. He's named after him. King Saul back then, he was Saul of Tarsus of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm of kingly type origin myself. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised the eighth day. Right, circle that one right now because we're going to come back on that one. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day in the flesh. I was I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and we all know how they are from their discussions with Jesus, right, on how the Pharisees were. He says, I topped all of them. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees on the way I held myself. And then he said this, according to the law, you know, that's some basics, isn't it? The Ten Commandments and the law of God. He said, according to the law, I was blameless. And I can just see him standing there, almost like that other Pharisee who was praying that time and saying, you know, look how great I am, Lord, and all the things that I do for you. And, but look at that guy over there who's crying over his sins and over who he is. I'm glad that I'm not like him. Well, you know what? That's the exact opposite of what the Lord is trying to say when you're poor in spirit. That's the picture of Saul of Tarsus being the Pharisee who's saying, I'm glad I'm not like that. But he ends up becoming the Apostle Paul who is just like that guy and saying I am so sorry for the way I used to be I used to walk thinking I am so uh, great and everything and that I am blameless in all the law and I got to thinking about about that song it's an old one you may know it Saul of Tarsus wrote this song 2,000 years before it became a popular hit in America Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, right? That's what Saul's saying here, man. I was perfect in every way. I was blameless. I wrote that song way before they did. They need to give me some of those uh, credits for that, you know. But he said it's hard to be humble. I'm perfect. I'm blameless. And then after all of that, you know what? After he realizes that the Lord knocks him off of his horse when he's riding to Damascus on that road and he's blinded and he has to go to the house and stay there and Ananias was told to go to him and Ananias didn't want to go and he said I've heard about this guy and he says no I've now made him a chosen vessel you go and you talk to him and he went over there and he told him Saul Lord has made you a chosen vessel Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And he did, and his eyes were open. And from that moment on, he began growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he began to start changing. And if you look at what that change says now in verse 7 there, of where we have just wrote about how he was talking about how I used to be so perfect, then all of a sudden he said, those things that I thought were gain, I thought these were all good for me, I now caught, count them for loss for Jesus Christ, my Lord. He says, I've traded everything. I encount all things for loss with, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, and what he did. He said, I traded all that off. 
And that word for lost there, <clears throat> that, that's, that's highly correct language. Because what it means is refuge. What it actually comes down to mean is like dung that is expelled from the body. At first it was the things that was thrown out to the dogs, the trash. But then it became as that. He said, all of those things that I thought made me perfect and blameless was nothing but trash. And I have tossed it all because I have started learning that my righteousness comes through Christ Jesus my Lord and through what he did for me on the cross and not by anything that I myself can do or claim. It's not by my lineage. It's not by anything. It is by faith in Christ Jesus. And then he started writing in Romans as he grew in that grace and knowledge. And he gets to Romans chapter 7. And he said, you know, I thought that I was good. I thought that the law was, I was keeping it and I was doing everything right. And I was blameless. But then I realized I wasn't all that I was cracked up to be. That I'm a sinner. And that my flesh had been deceiving me. And when I found out how I had been deceived by thinking I was good by trying to do that, and then I realized I could never be, and that it's through Christ, he said, it crushed me. It actually just killed me to know that I had been so deceived and caught up in who I was and what I could do. And then he says this. He says, I realized it was deceiving me that I am carnal, I am a man of flesh. Look at that word, sold under sin. I have been sold under sin. And he said, I began to wrestle with myself. And now he begins crying out. And he says, what am I doing? I don't understand this. And, he, and for the next few verses, he's struggling with something. I know that you all don't struggle with this, but I'm going to confess that I do. And I am so glad, I'm going I'm to tell you right now, I'm so glad, we're just getting personal now. I am so glad that, that the Holy Spirit moved Paul to write this and to put it in there because I want, I want to explain what it's saying and what it actually means to us as Christians. And I hope that you can grab a hold of it and that it means something to you as well once we get through this. He says, I wrestle with things. I know you all don't, but I do. I wrestle with this. He says, basically, in a nutshell, there are things that I know that is good and that I should do, but I end up, I don't do them. And I know that there's things that I don't want to do. I do them. The things that I do know that I should do, I don't do them. And the the words that are used there as he goes back and forth with this is that the temptation, the thing that's in my flesh, it's like a splinter. That's what the word means in there. And it's like when you've got a thorn or a splinter or something that's embedded in your flesh, what happens? It lets you know it's there, doesn't it? And it's always irritating and it's always trying to get your attention. And it's always trying to form a head and what? Expose itself. He says, the things that I don't want to do is always trying to expose itself and to come out so that I do it. And 
it's always on my mind and it's always sitting there trying to bother me. And I know I shouldn't, but I do. And the things that I do, I don't want to do. And, and he's, I'm glad that he's wrestling back and forth with this because I do. And I'm glad that there wasn't no specific thing that he puts in there that he's wrestling back and forth with. You know why? Because I can insert mine in there now. Because the book of Hebrews tells us that we are to try to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Mine is different from yours. Yours is different from mine. We're all different. So I am glad that when the Spirit puts something in here like this, He leaves it generic so mine is included in what it is. And there is this wrestling that is going back and forth between, between the Apostle Paul. Here is the man who wrote most of the New Testament. Here is the man who was the chosen vessel of God. He talked with God. He saw the light. He, he was knocked off his horse and the light shining. And Jesus, he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the Christ, whom you are persecuting. And it's hard to kick against me, isn't it? And he said, yes. And he said, then go, and I'll tell you what's going to happen. And he went, and he did. And here is the guy who's experienced all of this. And now he is a great man and he's been knocked out. He's been stoned. He's been chased. And he still tries to stand up. There's an arena standing there in Ephesus. And it's filled with thousands, tens of thousands of people. And they're sitting there banging like you would at a, at a, a concert or at a sporting event. And they're going, great is Diana of Ephesus. Because he has been preaching Christ and turning the world upside down. And they all get upset. And here's a man who says, I'm going to go out and talk to him. The tens of thousands who want his life. And he says, I'm going to go talk to him. And they say, no, no, you can't go because it's hard telling why. He, he said, the Lord protect me. He said, no, it's better this time for you to go. There's a man that's all of that. But yet he says, when I get personal with you. Whenever I sit down and I get ready to go to bed at night, I wrestle with this thing. Man, there's sin within me and I fight it and I try not to. And I realize that there is nothing now. Look at verse 18. I realize that in my flesh that there is this nature within me that takes over. Nothing good is of this flesh that I am in. Oh, in my mind, my will is to do what I know that I should, but how to overcome it and do that, I find not. It's hard for me, he says. And then in verse 19, he says this, for the good that I will, in other words, the good that I want to do, what I am wanting to do, I can't do. I don't do it. But the evil that I don't, want to do that is what I seem to keep on practicing this is the apostle of God the chosen vessel who is wrestling with the same things that I wrestle with every day and you know what happened the Holy Spirit gave him a revelation and I'm going to take his revelation and run with it on what he learned because then in verse 20 he says this here comes a mystery for us that is being unraveled here that hadn't been known until now. He says, if this is the case, 
And all of a sudden, he realizes that in Christ, he's a new creature. He says this, if that is the case, that, it's, that, the, that this wrestling that's a part of me that's going on, then it's not really me, but the sin that dwells in my flesh that keeps doing this. What? What are you saying? I mean, he says it again down there later on, too. He's going to say it again. But he says, if this is the case, it's not really me, but the sin that dwells in my flesh that keeps doing this. And then in verse 21, he says, and I found out something. It was revealed to me that there is a law. Wow, did you know that there's a law around this? There is a law of the flesh that says that this desire for evil or doing what I really don't want to do is present within the flesh that I was, that I have, that I was born with. It is the sin that dwells in me, he said. And I delight, verse 22, to do what the law of God says, but my inward man, my mind, the spiritual person wants to do that. But, verse 23, but there is a law in my body or in my members, my flesh, that constantly wars against my mind, my thoughts. And it always seems to bring me into its captivity of doing what I don't want to do. Do you see the conundrum? Have you ever faced it? The my mind, what did Jesus tell the disciples that fell asleep? All oh, your mind was willing, but the body couldn't do it. There's something about that. And we started meditating. What is trying to be revealed to us here? What is he really trying to say? And I want you to look at this. Then he says this, and this begins to be beautiful in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, he's being honest with us. And he says, it, he just come clean and he's just confessed everything to us. And he says, we have this fleshly body. There is a constant battle that is going on and I actually hate it. And it hurts. And I don't like that my mind can't cash the checks that the, the body is writing. I, it just, it doesn't happen. And then he says, there's a war. But then look at verse 25 and and. I had to listen close. I thank God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. What's he saying? I was rescued from that by Christ Jesus, my Lord. He paid the price. So what does that mean? In other words, I've been forgiven and I've been washed clean by the blood of the lamb that died for me. And now God sees his righteousness through me and not mine. I've been clothed with him and I am in him and it says I am hid in Christ Jesus but not only that it goes deeper folks it goes deeper than that so first of all it says I can relax because this righteousness that I'm trying to attain is not mine <laughs> it's Christ and he's already did it but then the end of verse 25 says this and here's where he says it again so then with my mind I honestly try to serve God and to do what's right. But with the flesh, there's the law of sin. And he says, I now realize that. And we need to know this too, that we face this battle. It's a constant struggle. And even the apostle says, I can't do it. And he says, it 
humbles me and makes me feel this way. And I go back to what Jesus said on his first teaching to us. What did he say? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's what this means. That means that in your mind, you're wrestling against the body. And that means you realize that I cannot pay that debt and that I can't beat it and I can't do it. Blessed are those who get to that point and aren't saying I am perfect, but I am nothing. Then he says, when you come to that point, the kingdom of heaven is coming to you. Because now you're going to get your righteousness through Christ Jesus the Lord and not through who you and what you thought that you were. And then he says this, nothing is good in my flesh. And you know why? Because you got born again. And this is where we're going to tie everything together now because how could he keep saying that? Look, this same thought keeps going on to the next verse in Romans 8.1. So it's not like it's a whole different thing. He's talking about this wrestling and he's talking about how that it is now no longer I that was sinning, but my flesh that is warring against it. And then he says this in chapter 8, verse 1. It's fantastic. So I have come to the realization that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you are in him and you are hid in him and he's paid it. So even though I wrestle with it and even though I slip, it says I'm not walking after that way. My, I'm not wa- I am walking after the spirit and not after the flesh. And when I do that, even when my flesh reveals and that splinter comes up, I'm forgiven because I'm already hid. There is no condemnation, therefore. And that's why he can say it was the body and not the mind that was doing that. I've been rescued. And then you go down to verse 9 and the mystery begins to unwind. He says this. You are not in the flesh. Now, can you begin to understand why he's saying that it wasn't the real me, but it was the thing that is housing me that is full of this stuff? He says, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And we've already talked from Acts chapter 2, the spirit of God comes... He tells tells him to be baptized into Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and he will dwell within you. And this is a promise to you and to your children and to your family, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So whenever you have given that commitment to him like Jesus did to the will of the Father and you have done that in faith because you believe in that operation, Then he says, you are no longer in the flesh. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You got to be what? Born again. Of what? Water and spirit. Why? Because now you are in the spirit and not in the flesh. And my mind that is walking in the spirit is trying to do what is good. But this separate entity... Now, because you basically died to this body when you did that. You died to that body, and now you are walking in the spirit. That is no longer held as condemnation against you, Romans 8, 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because you are not in the flesh anymore. You are in the spirit and the spirit of God when he dwells in you. Verse 10. And if Christ is what? In you. If Christ is in you, the body is what? Dead because of sin. But your spirit is life because of the righteousness of Christ dying for those sins. And he who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And he also will give life to your bodies through the spirit that now dwells in you. Do you see all of that starting to tie together together? And Romans chapter 6 was two chapters before this. It was right before we started all of this. And Romans chapter 6 says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Know ye not that as many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into what? His death. So that like as Christ was buried and rose again, even so we are buried, you are dying to sin you have buried your old body there and it is no longer you. You are born again with a new spirit and you left that back there. It was removed from you and cast off from you. You see, aren't you going out on a limb here? Aren't you making some wild accusations? Well... Give me uh, the slide with Colossians chapter 2, Miss T. I'm just skipping through a little bit. You see, on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. And Ishmael was the son of the bondwoman. That's our flesh, okay? But Isaac is the son of promise. That's, that's our spirit. We're going to talk about that next Wednesday if you want to come. And, and that's where we're going. But it all ties in together because the sign of circumcision was the sign of the covenant relationship with God. And whenever there is a circumcision, does anybody know what happens? Something gets cut off, don't it? <laughs> I mean, something gets cut off and removed from the body and it is no longer yours, right? And you know what they used to do with that foreskin? They would bury it, except for Moses' wife, and she threw it at his feet because she was pretty angry at what she had to do, but that's a different study. When you're circumcised, something gets cut off and removed, and they buried it as that which was dead, and you are now in a covenant relationship with God, and God doesn't see you as anything else but his because of that. Now, I just told you about Romans 6, about dying, and you left it there, and it was buried there, and you arose a new creature. Look at Colossians 2. When Paul opened the chapter, he's kind of talking cryptically about this kind of thing, that there was a separation of the spirit from the flesh. He says, you have not seen my face, but spiritually our hearts are knitted together. So he's kind of given you this mystery and this knowledge of the understanding. And what mystery? What's he talking about? He says, well, I'm going to share it with you. Verse 5, I am absent in the flesh, but I am with you in the spirit. You see how he's trying to get your idea used to the idea of separation, that there's a separation there. 
He says, I am absent in the flesh, but I am with you in the spirit. And then in verse 9, here we go. It says, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see, the presence of the Father and the Spirit is also there. Do you see how the Spirit can dwell in a different body, but it's its own entity? The Holy Spirit dwells in us. There's a body, but it is a separate entity from what the body is. So now you, your spirit that was born again, is a separate entity from what this body is. And he says, uh, spiritually... You are in, but not of the body. And in verse 10, look at that. And you, you see, he's talking about us. And you are complete in him. He is now your head. You are now in his body, not your body. And he says, you are spiritually complete in him where you weren't in yours. And how did he do this? There was an operation that took place. An operation called circumcision of your heart. And in verse 11 it says, In him, in Christ, you were also what? Verse 11, circumcised. With a circumcision not made with hands. Your doctor didn't do this. The Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit did. When? When did we get into this covenant relationship and when were we circumcised? It says, you got cut something off and buried and throw it away. That, when did that happen? It says, in Christ you were circumcised by him without physical hands. And he put off from us. You hear that? He put off from us the body of sins of your flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Do you hear that? The old you died They buried it when you said, I believe in this operation and that my righteousness is in Christ and not of me. When I become poor in spirit and realize I can't do it, then I follow the plan of God like Jesus did. And he says, when you do that, the kingdom of heaven is nigh unto you and it is no longer mine. It's no longer counted to me as condemnation, Romans 8, 1. Yeah, I know I did it. It sounds like almost something that uh, I used to try to convince my parents of whenever I was little. You know, like, I didn't do it, but you did. Well, but I didn't mean to. You know what I mean? It seemed like that kind until you get into this and you understand. He says, verse 12, you were buried with him in baptism. And my sins were cut off in this circumcision. This flesh was cut off. In which, in baptism, in which, in the burial, we are raised then up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And we, who used to be dead in trespasses, and catch this, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has now made alive together with him and forgiven you of all transgressions. Now do you see why he says, it's not me anymore. It's, it's that body of flesh that has already been killed and buried and done away with. And I, my righteousness is in Christ Jesus now. And it wiped out, it says, he forgave you of all that and wiped out all the trespasses, all the handwritten laws. And it was what? Nailed 
to his tree, to the cross. And then we, it is a beautiful analogy here that all of those dots connect together. That it is now no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me that he sees. And that's why it's not held against me as long as I am walking in the spirit and not after the flesh. And that rotten, sinful old me, that wretched man that I was, was buried and taken away. And it's covered and done. And all he sees is Christ in me and my life is hid in him. Praise God, right? Praise God that he does that for us. As our praise team returns and, and comes on back up, today, it's not only a new year, but man, this is a new time to follow Jesus in, in our life. It's a great time to follow him. I'm anxious to see what this year brings. How about you? I think that it's that everything is happening for a purpose, for a cause, and for a plan, and that Jesus is saying, come and follow me because I need you. There's, there's some people out there who need to hear the message of hope. Do you see the despair that's going on? Do you see the loneliness? Do you see the, the depression and the things and the empty streets? He's, Jesus is saying, I'm shaking them so that they're getting ready for you. Follow me and take them that word and get ready. Come, follow me. That's his invitation. And today, he says, whenever you are poor in spirit and you realize this thing you're wrestling with, count it all joy. Be blessed and know that I've taken care of it and it ain't about you and your righteousness. It's about me and mine. And now come on and follow me and let's get busy. And do the work. So if you're here today. And you have never followed those plans. I say with Paul. What Ananias told him. Why tarriest thou? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized. And wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. We've got the water. We've got the towels. We've got the clothes to change into. So that there is no excuse if you're ready. Because you've you got something to put you in. To dry you off and you're all dry and good in your clothes when you go. But now you'll be a new creature in Christ. Buried with him. Those things are gone. And for those of us who have been wrestling with things. And letting them beat us up all our lives. Didn't I just learn that I don't have to worry. I should, I should be blessing God through Christ for what he's done for me. And that he's taken that away. And I am not held accountable for it anymore pray father what a wonderful wonderful analogy that you've put together through all of your word that you try to tie your symbolism of the old and your understanding of what it means physically so that then we can understand it spiritually and how it applies to our lives today and father may we take this message of hope this is a message of hope that I do not have to be depressed and wallowing because I have trouble fighting. I got to realize I just got to do the best I can do and try to walk in the spirit and follow you and that you've taken care of everything else for me, Father. What a great message of hope and comfort and peace of mind this should provide to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we thank you, Father, for your unspeakable love and the greatest gift ever, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
Amen.